It all started out as a mild curiosity in the junkyard. And now, it's the Doctor Who Podcast. In this episode of the Doctor Who Podcast, Victory of the Daleks is on the table. What does the team think? Did we enjoy it? Did we not? The return of the Daleks for the Matt Smith era, my goodness, the anticipation is high, and we're going to let you know where we stand on it. Yes, and welcome to another episode of the Doctor Here Podcast. It's a great pleasure to have you here again today. And uh, hello, Tom. Hiya. And hello, Thingamabob. <laughs> Thingamabob. Thank you. Yeah, just as well I've listened to your last podcast. <laughs> it wasn't our fault. It's our listeners calling you that, yes. not me. No, I, I, I've actually been referred to as all manner of things. Thingamabob iTunes. There's an iTunes review at the moment that calls me the grumpy one. So, <laughs> um, other people have called me Victor Meldrew. It's James, listeners, James. <laughs> Prince of Darkness. James. Im- <laughs> Im- <laughs> imprint that voice on your memory, people. James. Well, it's fantastic to be here again today, and and of course, the thing we want to talk about today, of course, is the latest episode of the Matt Smith era, Victory of the Daleks. Um, So without further ado, well, let's just get right in and find out what we thought. Guys, hit me with it. James, I'll I'll, I'll let you you go first. (laughs) I was going to do exactly the same. Okay, right. I thought it was... Poor. I don't think we're quite back in the territory of the eleventh hour just yet, but and it, and it was better for me than the eleventh hour was. But ultimately, no, I didn't enjoy this. Um, there were a couple of positive points, but I'll dwell on those later on. I think I'll um, I'll get stuck into it if I can to start with. Um, I thought Ian McNeese um, looked absolutely nothing like Winston Churchill, and apart from a few of his um, nuances in terms of his voice, I think he was quite a bad bit of casting although i understand i think he's been churchill in other productions as well but uh nope not overly keen on that um i thought the first 15 minutes was incredibly pedestrian in terms of pace uh practically nothing happened apart from a doctor wandering around desperately trying to convince everybody that daleks uh were you know not necessarily that good an invention and it turned out not even to be an invention uh no, I, I really just didn't like it. I couldn't get the idea of Spitfires in space. I didn't see how that was good. I'm perfectly prepared to accept Blue Box travelling in time and space, but something inside of me just said, oh, come on, when you saw a Spitfire in space. Lost a little bit of credibility for me there. And Bracewell, I'm afraid, looked like Chameleon Mark II. Um, and the the way in which the bomb was deactivated was the most preposterous um, plot device I've ever seen I think in Doctor Who just trying to convince a bomb that it was human you know I, I, I really couldn't get my head around that Daleks well at least the colour scheme matches that of the interior of the TARDIS 
Um, that's the only good thing I think I can say about them. They remind me of the new version of the Volkswagen Beetle. You know, it's a homage to the original, but not a patch on, on, on what was originally designed. And no, really didn't like it very much, I'm afraid. And I, I will just jump in and say there are some positives here that I did like, but I'm not going to talk about them at the moment because I'm still in the mood. <laughs> I was going to say that they kind of looked a lot like a Mini Cooper for me. <laughs> even, even the you know the, the even with the actual you know sort of different color schemes. But anyway, um, that that's very interesting, James. Um, I suppose I'm not as negative as you seem to be on this. I didn't enjoy it very much at all either, but I found stuff in it to enjoy. Like you, I, I wasn't a very big fan of the let's convince the bomb it's human so it won't blow us up thing. <laughs> I, I thought that was absolutely ridiculous. The new Daleks, the, the Confidential describes them as much more scary than the originals. But I have a hard time really believing that. They, they look too polished, too manufactured. They don't look like a killing machine. They look like a glorified display stand to me. Um, they, they, they didn't really seem to have that same level of menace that... Even the new series Daleks, uh, or and definitely not a patch on the classic series Dalek look. I wasn't a particular fan of all the technology. It was my understanding in the episode that Bracewell had all these fantastic ideas written down on paper. And then the Doctor says, hey, why don't we start using these to defeat the Daleks? And then suddenly we're seeing Spitfires flying through space. And I said, well, unless they were already working on this a long time ago, which didn't seem to be the way the script was saying it. They seem to get these things going very, very quickly. The only thing I really liked about this was that we finally got Daleks back that are pure. We we finally, finally totally moved beyond the RTD nonsense of impure Daleks. Daleks that aren't particularly sclerosian, I suppose. And now they're going to go out, they're, they're going to rebuild their race, and we might see a hint of what the original Daleks used to be. Not having to worry about these different sects and Daleks that have gone mad and all that sort of nonsense. Um, that that was a positive for me, I suppose. Okay, well, I, I think you guys are both on the same page. Um, I've got to say, on paper, this is almost a, fa a fan's dream. It's uh, a, re a remake of Power of the Daleks, up to a point, um, written by one of the best fans of the show, Mark Gatiss, and produced by one of the best fans, i.e. Stephen Moffat. Uh, and for the first 10 minutes, it's great, I thought. I thought it was building up, it was building up really nicely. Matt Smith is developing his character, the Doctor, there's lots of his own mannerisms with his hands, and then the whole thing just falls to bits, and it turns into Scooby-Hoo. Um, in fact, I think at one point, I, <laughs> I found myself thinking, this is a Doctoon. You know, it's like, it's all the bits of Doctor Who that I'm familiar with, but it's not quite right. In fact, the exact, fr the, the exact feeling I had for it <clears throat> was that it was like meeting um, an old girlfriend that I hadn't seen for a, for a couple of years. And as much as I recognise her, you know, you recognise them and you think, oh, I kind of understand what you're saying, but they are significantly different. There, there were things I recognised, like the blue box and a character called the Doctor and the Companion, but I didn't recognise an awful lot of it. Um, the Doctor being quite so manic, being quite so violent and angry. Great performance from Matt Smith, but I'm not sure that was in character. Um, and, and ultimately, I'm not a fan of the Daleks anyway. And when they turned up looking like these big plastic hunchbacks and floor cleaners, I just thought, nah, that's it. And for the first time in a very long time, in fact, since Paradise Towers, I thought, this show's got almost nothing to do with me. I don't, I don't recognise it. I'm not feeling it. It's not moving me. Um, although... Like Trevor, I started to look for. Th I started to find things that I did like in it, 
And after the second viewing, I liked it more than after the first viewing. But after after the first thing, I was really just sat there shaking my head going, no, nah, no, nah, not, not into this at all. Um, why is the Doctor less concerned than, I would, than we would expect him to be that Amy has forgotten the Daleks? He was angry. He, he was very concerned the Daleks had forgotten him. Why he didn't, and he didn't seem too bothered that Amy had forgotten the Daleks, or at least maybe this is part of the character, and we're riding a long story. But um, without wanting to get into into rating things, this is this is possibly the, the the of the three shows so far. This is the one I've enjoyed the least. No, I agree with you, Tom. I think certainly out of the three, it's been um, the most disappointing in terms of plot. I mean, I was I was more disappointed with the whole feel of the eleventh hour. Mm. Um, however, I, as I alluded to earlier, there are some positives here. And there was one point when I absolutely laughed out loud. And uh, I mm. don't know how closely you follow Dad's army, um, Tom. Had to get that one in. But there are two enormous nods to Dad's army. One of which pretty much I think everybody will get, which is the yes. put that light out yeah, line yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from Warden Hodges. Mm. And the character of Bracewell was also a ma- another massive nod. Now, that's not to say that there were androids in Dad's Army. They never were. But there was a character in episode one, the very first episode of Dad's Army, called Bracewell. And oh. he never appeared again. He was cut from the um, series after the first episode. And he even looked like Bill Patterson. Oh, but Bill, do you know, of, wow. of all of the things in the episode that it's possible to go like, oh, I'm not sure about, the one thing that was definite was that Bill Patterson was brilliant. Really, really good. I mean, what well, you know, maybe, was this show made early <clears throat> after, the, after the filming block started? Because Matt is there, he's in it, and Karen's kind of on the case, but they're less certain than they were in The Eleventh Hour and The Beast Below. I don't know if you got that feeling at all. Well, for for me, it goes back to what you're saying before, Tom. I, I watched this feeling very distanced from it. Mm. I was quite I was quite aloof about the whole episode. It never really engaged me. Mm. And when it when it really didn't engage me was all those scenes on the Dalek ship with Matt Smith. I oh. thought he was absolutely <clears throat> terrible on mm. the Dalek ship. Um, probably because I was sitting there going, "Why don't you just kill this bugger right now?" Um, there's times even in the new series where we've seen the Doctor be able to parade himself in front of the Daleks for whatever, you know, whether he's got a force field or whether he's got the upper hand in some way. Mm. But this time it just seemed to be there because, oh, we, we can do it. We'll, we'll just have Matt Smith there stand there with the biscuit and it'll be terribly funny once it's revealed that it's actually a jam biscuit. Mm. But there's, there's nothing stopping the Daleks from just killing him right mm. there on the spot. And, and then going into all that nonsense with, with that ray that affected all the electricity in the place and you know turned all the lights on um yeah yeah, yeah. It, it 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 just seemed to prolong all that stuff on the ship a lot and matt really seemed to be distanced from a lot of the action in this story he goes up reasonably early in the action to the dalek ship and spends pretty much most of the episode up there and i think that doesn't do any favors for the doctor he he is not really the the main solver of the problem yeah, it's a bog-standard plot device or script writing, really, is that you introduce the episode with the two main protagonists discovering the problem together, which they did. The Doctor then explains how bad and how evil, how evil the Daleks are to Amy, and then they get separated. And that's normally when attention ramps up in a particular episode, and this time it just didn't. You're absolutely right. I think Amy was left 
pretty much just to sit there and make friends, for want of a better word, with Bracewell. <laughs> and Matt Smith was up there having basically a chin wag uh, with, with the Daleks. And both parts of the story felt long, drawn out, and just not not as gripping. And I, I'd like to echo what both of you have said. I was not engaged in this episode at all. Yeah. I kept I kept on looking at the timer on the uh, the the hard drive to see how far through the program was and i was i don't even do that when i watch the classic episodes on dvd and yet when i was watching this one i just had to know how much was left and i was constantly surprised at how much time there was left to get through the episode yeah mm. do, you know, do you know what you can't have seen the keys of marinus then bloody hell <laughs> I, li- I like the keys of Marinus, and we better not go there. Marinus this is, is going to be a yeah. long podcast, otherwise. <laughs> but I, I am totally with you, James. Um, I sat there, and it got to the half hour mark, and I had somewhere in my head that this was going to be an hour long episode for some reason. It got to the half hour mark, and everything seemed to be tying up, and I went, "Oh, what's what's going on here?" Mm. But then we we get to that bit that James has already talked about—the incredibly long, incredibly pointless, incredibly laughable bit with talking down the bomb and making it human. Um, that that was cringeworthy. It was terrible. Do you know what? I, I, I watched it the first time around, and I did have my head in my hands. I watched it again, because as all good fans do, you do watch it again. Um, and I thought, okay, maybe that was a, it was a good piece of character development for the Doctor and Amy. Um, interesting, because the Doctor's saying to Bracewell, or Robot Bracewell, um, how bad are things? How terrible is it? Everyone's dying. Everyone's dead. Embrace that. Isn't, that, isn't, it, isn't it an invigorating feeling? So he's going for the hard hurt, which tells you a lot about the Doctor. And Amy goes for the soft hurt. You ever been in love? Ever found Ever, ever felt ever felt ever fallen for someone that you shouldn't have done, and that that was interesting. The second time around, so I thought, okay, that's a good bit of character exposition development between the two of them because they really are diametrically opposed but drawn together. So I quite enjoyed. It that. is, it is, it is. I totally agree with you that it it is a great character moment. It's like the writer Mark Gator said, "I've got this fantastic." series of dialogues that I'm dying to use in Doctor Who. Mm. Oh, let's do it on this bit with the yeah. robot Bracewell. Yeah, um, yeah. Fantastic concept, but wrong application. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And I think um, there's another writer who I think um, you can compare Mark Gatiss's style with, and that's, that's for two reasons. One, because I think they are tonally very, very similar. And, and secondly, because they've both been asked to do celebrity historicals since the series has come back, and that's Gareth Roberts. Oh. And if you, if you look at some of the dialogue that he wrote between... William Shakespeare and the Doctor, it's instantly much more interesting and accessible than any of the dialogue I found between Churchill and the Doctor this time around. Mm. And for me, uh, Gareth Roberts is, is, is certainly ahead on points in terms of dialogue between celebrity historical figures and the Doctor. See, and that's an interesting point, though. I mean, the the way that Shakespeare was represented was was as a, a an Elizabethan rock star. Um, Chir- the, the portrayal of Churchill, I found a little bit jarring. Again, until I thought about it a little bit, history would have us believe that Churchill was this <clears throat> behemoth striding through the war and, and pulling people along in his wake. Where real- the reality seems to be, he fought the war on brandy and coke an awful lot. Um, and what you know, what one of the things which jarred with me was the almost. Um, dismissive way that he said, well, thousands of Londoners may die. Can we just schedule a meeting for the morning about this? Um, perhaps that's more of the reality of it because Churchill was constantly trying to get the TARDIS key off the Doctor and being a little bit, I won't say underhanded, but being very sly, which is possible, which may be closer to the truth uh, about how Churchill was. I mean, you can't make a, a multi-million pound TV show like this with all, the, with all the things that attend to it without having someone along the way saying, is this portrayal of Churchill valid? 
Um, because because at some point, it's, in some way, it must be right. I, I found it jarring, but perhaps history has been lying to me and uh, Doctor Who is telling the truth, which is a bit of a worrying road to go down, but there you go. <laughs> it is, but what do you think more, is more important? Actually portraying something as tragic as the Second World War accurately, mm. which I don't think they paid any real significant attention to. Where were the Germans? Portraying, well, exactly. Or portraying Churchill accurately and mm. i think they you know i i didn't like ian mcneese's portrayal of churchill i have to say but that was mainly due to his physicality and the way that he spoke but i i didn't like the way they represented the second world war either um mm. because ultimately yeah i mean it, it's a very long time ago now and most of the people who fought in it and are still haunted by the memories are probably not going to be with us any longer or going to be extremely old. I, I felt that um, there were too many parts or elements of the war that were taken and portrayed in a comic book fashion. And, and I feel that is wrong. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to refer back to Dad's Army once again, I'm afraid, because clearly that's a comedy set within what is essentially a tragedy. And yet it still manages to respect the environment it's set in. And mm. I didn't feel that Mark Gatiss or the production team did that as well as Stephen Moffat has done in the past with um, Empty Child and Doctor Dances. Now, again, I think you're right. That one of the things which I seem to, which I had to work with, was the opening scene is that is that uh, radio operator trying to talk to um, the squadron who's flying who's flying over the channel. And I know that the trope of the doomed airman is a well used device, but even in the context of Doctor Who, there was something slightly wrong with that. Um, mm. do, you, do you remember in the Beast Below? There's the Doctor saying, "Well, I can never walk past a crying child," but this time around, he, he had no problem walking past a crying woman. I didn't understand what her her purpose in the plot was either, because they not only referenced her once having problems with her husband in the Air Force, but twice when she found out that he died. Yeah. And it, it mm. seemed to be they were tacking on all these little beats of things that people, I think, expect World War II to be about, mm. about women crying for their you know, dearly beloved husbands who've, who've died in you know, some heroic war, mm. and they bolted it on, onto the script. And, mm. and I think watching The Confidential 2, Ian McNeese basically said, well, I'm not going for an accurate portrayal of Churchill. I basically ah. watched a few um, videos of him and picked up the beats of his language and then applied that to my characterization. So mm. again, it's, it's, it's about what the public thinks happened in World War II and the, the way it played out rather than what really happened, despite what Mark Gator says about doing lots and lots of research. And that's the thing. That's, that's why it seemed to me like a cartoon, because it, it, all of the things which were referencing the Second World War were not, they weren't first-hand. It was, it, it, was a, it, was a, it was a repeat of a portrayal in a film. You know, some of the dialogue seemed very brief encounter, very damn busters, very Star Wars in the obvious places as well. So it's repeating a fiction and fixing something and trying to fix something in a second or third-hand way. Does that, do you see where I'm coming from with that? Mm, yeah. I do, I do. But, I mean, we, we, I think we're, we're probably being a little bit critical in that, that we have to allow Doctor Who to do that because we can't really get bogged down in realism. I we're talking right. about well, a in that guy case, in a blue in that box ca visiting World War Two. No, I agree, but in that case, then I think they shouldn't try because it was a half-hearted attempt to do that this time, and I think that's the reason why the crying woman was in it. When you saw, okay, let's come at this from a different angle because there were some good, there were some good things in it. Um, when Matt Smith started giving it to the Daleks, and he, he he did seem as a, as the Doctor anyway, he did seem very annoyed with them, very annoyed with them, and I and I, and I could see him channeling uh, channeling Troughton in a couple of places, particularly in the Jammy Dodger moments. I thought I was promised some tea here, um, which I thought was particularly good. And um, when he said, "I'm the Doctor and you're the Daleks," did you believe him? Mm. No. 
No. Not at all. I, I've already said earlier that I wasn't a fan of um, Matt Smith's acting while he was on the Dalek ship. I thought he sounded incredibly childish when he said, I'm the Doctor and you're the Daleks. It, it sounded like a petulant little child rather than an authoritative man standing up to these six-foot monstrosities. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't go as far as that. I would say that I didn't completely buy his authority in that scene, and that was just before he went onto the Dalek ship. That was actually still within the bunker. For me, that line represented the whole of the first 15 minutes. That's where the first 15 minutes was leading to, it was for Matt Smith to get as, as angry as possible, probably as angry as Eccleston did within Dalek, and as angry as Tennant did within Man- Daleks in Manhattan, you know, at that point, then you realise that these Daleks are extremely bad, <laughs> you know, yes. um, people within the universe. And I just don't think that it was as convincing as those other two examples. And you, you look back in the classic series, and again, there's been, there's been some talk on the forums, actually, about how we shouldn't necessarily always try to reconcile New Who with Old Who. But for me, it's practically impossible not to. And if you look in some of the moments when the old doctors met the Daleks after a long period of absence and you see the look of horror, fear, anger, all Matt Smith is doing is is exactly that. So I think it's perfectly valid to have the Doctor very angry. But do I think Matt Smith pulled it off as well as previous actors? No, I'm sorry, I don't. I think he was okay. I I, I just don't think he was as compelling uh, or as convincing as others who have gone before him. Speaking quickly of comparing this story to, to classic series ones. I mean, I know we talked about in episode five about, oh, this is going to be Power of the Daleks remade. It's going to have the devious Dalek, the devious Dalek we had in the Eccleston season. It was very, very sadly lacking for me. I didn't really see that there. And it it was disappointing that I think maybe Mark might have had it at the back of his head that we were going to get the, the scheming plotting Daleks, but we really didn't. Maybe you know. Maybe we should go back to something I said in, said in the last podcast. Um, this this particular episode made me feel a little bit like. Well, I'll, I'll be honest. I was very tired when I watched it as well. That, so that might be affecting it. And I, I, I did a review for Chip, which and you can kind of hear that in there as well. Um, maybe it is that it was going by a little bit too quick for me. One of the things with um, the Power of the Daleks is you had six episodes of that. You know, there's plenty of time here. We had le- you know less than an hour. Um, so everything had to happen very, very quickly. Um, I, and the thing that got me is maybe I was expecting power of the Daleks. And so, and so I was projecting that onto the show. If I try and take it on its own merit, it did what it had to do within the time available for it quite well. Um, let's take a step back from this. This is the end of the first block. This is, you know, this is the first, this is the third story. So we've learned a lot. We've met the Doctor. We've met the Companion. We've been reminded that he's that he's that he doesn't like the Daleks very much. They've been remade. What we think of the Dalek design is is neither here is is another thing entirely. So perhaps in context, the story is better. I mean, I've, I've got to I've got to admit, the second time I watched it, it was better than the first time round, uh, and it might just be that I was expecting. As I say, maybe I was expecting Power of the Daleks, but this is this is referencing it. I did love the the final end line because that was just beautiful. Um, but perhaps now we're saying it's all right. Okay, look, we've got the pieces on the board now. Now we're going to start playing the game. So perhaps, perhaps, perhaps we're expecting too much from it. Is that you know? What do you think? Uh, interesting. I mean, first of all, I would say I, I would disagree with you in in terms of how much was in a forty-five minute episode. Um, had this been drawn out towards an hour or an hour and five minutes, then I I, I think it would have felt even more pedestrian than it did feel. There were there were there were moments in this episode when I really was clock watching and I, I, I can't see how there is enough plot here to fill out a longer 
episode. Um, and secondly, yeah, I, I appreciate what you mean when you rewatch an episode. Um, but I think that's always the case. I mean, the episode out of New Who that I've enjoyed the least um, is Voyage of the Damned. And even when I rewatched that, and I had so many problems with Voyage of the Damned, I enjoyed it more. That's because your expectations have changed massively. So I think, yeah, it is something that fans do. They rewatch these episodes because I think there's a desperation almost to pull something positive from them. Um, even even my rewatching of the eleventh hour, you know, I understood a lot more and I appreciated it far more than I did first time around. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure um, that I would want to watch any more than forty two, forty three minutes of this kind mm. of story. I think the problem too is is with this one that we that we have a story which is essentially um, impure Daleks finding a way to break open their gene bank and bring the Daleks back to their original glory, and that's it. And even that story finishes five minutes before the end, and we have to have Paddy at the end with the yep. Doctor yep, and Amy yep. leaning against the TARDIS and having another one of those interminable chats to each other. Um, so <laughs> even I'm- the the it. Even the actual story finishes before the episode finishes, and they've still got to pad it out at the end with, oh, bye, Churchill, bye, 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 let's go lean against the TARDIS and have a chat. Oh, let's, let's have a slow zoom in on that crack again. No, 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 I th- no, I think it was important. I think, it was, I th- I think that was important. There's a big, there is a big story there. Amy doesn't know who the Daleks are, which is immediately a bit like, whoa, hang on a minute, Why, how can she not know? Everybody on Earth knows I- that. I got that five minutes in when they had the chat in the corridor. I didn't need to be told again. I am re- reasonably intelligent. And and I think it's a thing about, oh, everyone's forgotten what they watched 40 minutes ago, so let's lean against the TARDIS and talk about it again. Mm-hmm. Um, so it to, to me, it, it, just goes back, it just goes back to my original point when I'm saying that they had to pad it out even more to yeah. fit that. I, um, I, I, I kind it, of fall between both of you on this because I, I think they still need to build up the relationship between Amy and the Doctor and I think that's what that scene was there at the end of the episode. Good chemistry. I think that's, that, that, that's one, yeah. Uh, I do agree that the episode finished, I think it was more than five minutes before the end of the actual programme. Um, mm. you know, and, and this this focus on the crack again, I mean, yeah, all right, it's getting a little bit annoying now. However... I think it was linked with that scene between a Doctor and Amy. And I think basically, yes, we're clearly either in the wrong timeline here or wherever Amy is going, she's leaving a crack just before she leaves. And, you know, the the, the crack on her wall in the first episode, I think, was clearly now, I think, it's something to do with Amy. And again, we've, we've seen the crack at the end of the episode in episodes two and three. So I think the Doctor and Amy, or, or, or more specifically Amy, is probably causing that crack. And, and incidentally, do you remember the promo uh, poster that went out uh, maybe about three weeks before the 11th hour broadcast? If you look at the back, it's backlit. You know, there's, there's some kind of light splayed out. And if you revisit it now, you can see it's the crack. So, so that oh, crack okay. is not going away. But I'm, I'm actually quite... I, I'm questioning now whether or not that is actually the story arc. I think it's probably a symptom of whatever the story arc is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we, I think we've agreed that Moffat, uh, Stephen Moffat, is very, very good at being tidy about his writing. There's nothing extraneous in there. Um, so you're right. Perhaps it is just a symptom rather than a cause. Mm. One, one thing that um, 
can't remember now, so I'll just call whichever one of you it was, Thingy Bob, uh, mentioned, was the um, was the Dalek ship. <laughs> um, and again, you were talking about the actual scene and the dialogue exchange rather than the ship itself, but that ship was massively different to anything we've seen inside of a Dalek ship, right from Series 1 through to Series 4. And I liked that ship. I thought it was much cleaner. Had a bit more of a Star Trek Enterprise feel to it. Mm. Um, and I mean Starship Enterprise, not the Series Enterprise there. And I thought I thought that was good. And I, I, I wanted to see a move away from this dark, dingy, kind of depressing Dalek ship that we've seen so far. I enjoyed that. Just two, two things, actually. I mean, I've, I've, I've got to put my cards on the table and say I'm not a Dalek fan. I think you can probably work all that out. Um, but I've got to say kudos to Mark Gatiss for actually resetting the Daleks really well. Um, the design is neither hit for me. The design kind of by the by. But the, the reset um, to have them back as good, as, you know, Trevor, as you said earlier on, as, as good, honest to goodness, nasty, bad, evil Daleks, that's really good because at least then we know that, right, the Daleks are back and they are nasty, evil things. Um, part one. Um, part two, perhaps we're missing a trick, a trick here as well. Is this one of the first or very few stories where the Doctor has lost? Because that's actually because that, as I, the more I think about it, I think that's that's probably quite a big thing, and that might be part of why I'm not so, such a big fan of this story. Is you know another reason why I'm not so big on it because the, he, he lost, he blew it. Well, um, no, they they uh, try and spin it round at the end by saying that 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 he had that small victory by saving um, London and the Earth from the Daleks, hmm. but but yeah, like like I say, it's not really a victory because the Daleks were going to leave anyway. I, I don't think their ultimate yeah. intent was to destroy the Earth in any way, shape, or form. Mm. But that's, I, that's what I mean. He blew it. He didn't. He, he, he didn't win. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's just the spin that you put on the resolution of any story. Because if you look at the end of any story where we automatically accept the Doctor as one, that's completely ignoring the fact that there's sometimes tens, sometimes thousands of deaths taken place throughout mm. that episode and that story. And all we do is ignore that and say, "Oh, the Doctor won out." This time round, they actually said, well, no, you know, he hasn't won completely. So I think all it was was just an acknowledgement that the Doctor's Aww. successes are qualified. <laughs> that's all. I, I think that's a little harsh, James. I mean, it's like saying the Allies didn't win World War II because millions died in the six years before that. Um, <laughs> you know, the Doctor, I suppose, accepts that there are casualties and that people die during the story and people die before he even gets there. In the end, it's the victory that matters. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree, and I think greater good won out as always, but there was just greater emphasis than usual placed on the consequences of the Daleks escaping, that's all. And that's why it was termed victory of the Daleks. I, I think the title was probably a little bit of a misnomer as well. It was just a bit of propaganda to say, well, actually, the Daleks really do win in this one. But if the Daleks survive in all of the others, then quite honestly, they have victories every single time, don't they? Guys, let's be positive. What, what, what were the good things about this? Okay. Uh, I, I've already mentioned my favourite part of the episode. That's because I've got an amazing affection for Dad's Army. That's three times I've managed to mention Dad's <laughs> Army now in this episode. <laughs> Dadsarmypodcast.com. Um, anyway, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the fact that the Doctor turned up late once again. <laughs> mm. um, it was a month after the phone call that we saw um, in The Beast Below. I thought that was pretty good. Mm. Um, aside from Matt Smith trying to 
you know, talk down the Daleks with a jammy dodger. Um, <laughs> I thought great. Matt Smith's portrayal was pretty good as well. Um, I, I, I like that. Mm. Um, I think the production values were very, very high. I like the CGI, um, with the exceptions of the planes in space. Mm. Um, but on on the whole, I just thought it looked very good. And I've, I've got to say again, um, and I know this is in stark contrast to most other podcasters, I really like Marigold's music. No, you're not alone I'm, there, actually. It's good. I, I, I love it. <clears throat> yeah, um, it, it's it's almost regenerated mm. for want of a better a better word and the mix is better it sounds better it's more inventive it sounds like he's had a bit of a kick up the backside mm. and I, I i really enjoyed it so the things i enjoyed are not really plot related or dalek related in any way really well for me i like the whole concept that the daleks are reborn i think it's wonderful that we're back to pure daleks um probably the way they did it didn't thrill me, but I think the whole thing of getting the story to a point where we have pure Daleks and in a form that I think whether you agree with the way they look and the way they act and how they did it, um, it has revitalised them in the series as far as the production team is concerned. So I think we can expect some interesting and different stories if they're going to involve Daleks from now on because we have these new mini mini Cooper Daleks running around. So... um, (laughs) I, I like that we're getting away from the David Tennant era Daleks um, mm. and we are now in the Stephen Moffat era Daleks, which which is good for me. Um, I thought the art department and all the special effects were quite good. I, I thought the way they realised, you know, as, as far as I'm concerned, you know, sort of uh, World War II Blitz type era stuff looked fantastic. Mm. Um, you know, the, all, 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 all the set dressing. Um, I've got to say, this thing with the Daleks, I, I, I'm going back to something you said earlier on, but they are so inconsistent normally. Um, all right, fair, <laughs> you know, fair, fair enough. Um, they were told, look, I've got, I've got this tide of self-destruct here, and they know that the Doctor's mental enough to probably use it. Um, but as you rightly say, Trevor, why not just shoot him? I mean, it, it's not like we got to the end of season, was it the end of season four? And quite frankly, Dalek turned around and went, you, dead now, bang, and shot him. Um, mm. what, 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 if these Daleks are the badass Dalek Daleks, why not just go like, all right, do you know what, kill him now? Because one of them was sneaky enough to scan. So right, I've scanned him. He's not. It's not. It's not a self destruct. Kill him now. All right, bang now. Would have been would yeah. have been logical to me for yeah. Daleks. But that's but that's what that, yeah. but that's what does me in. They're so inconsistent. Uh, I agree, and it's funny because they were inconsistent in a situation that was identical to that at the end of Parting of the Ways as well. Because the Doctor was faced with exactly the same choice. Mm. Um, in this episode, and he was in part of the ways, and that was either to destroy the Daleks or save the Earth, but he couldn't do both. This is not an overreaction, but I am just interested in how you feel after your first experience of Matt Smith not actually living up to expectations. Oh, do you do you miss David Tennant yet? Trev, no. yeah, me either. Um, I've, I've got. <laughs> there you go. I, I, uh, David Tennant was good, but I don't think Matt Smith didn't live up to expectations. He did. He he was he was good. He just wasn't as good as he has been. Um, and lead actor, fair enough. But it, it, the lead actor can only do so much. The production value. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Maybe I should have rephrased my question then. Do you miss David Tennant or Russell T Davis yet? I'm grateful no. to them, but I don't miss them. Okay, <laughs> there you go. That was a nice <laughs> <laughs> I don't miss them because because I know Matt Smith is capable of more and I know we're going to see more from Matt Smith and I think what I've seen in Victory of the Daleks is just a a small aberration on the way to uh, greater greatness I suppose. Yeah. 
I'll wear that. I'll wear that. Um, at the time it was all happening, I, I was absolutely thrilled with Russell, da- Russell T. Davis and, and David Tennant. I didn't. Qu- I never quite got the whole thing that people complaining. Oh, he's too. You know, he's a lightweight doctor, and um, Russell T. Davis can't write. It's just, which is clearly in- that's clearly idiotic. That he, Tennant's a great actor, and Russell T. Davis can write. Um, but they did what they did, and now Stephen Moffat is building on that. So, in the same way as I appreciate Tom Baker, but I enjoy and, and I and I enjoyed Peter Davison as it was all happening. I appreciate what they did, but it's time for the next thing. I'm just in the reaction phase for an episode that I enjoyed less than the other two at the moment. I think. Hello, chaps. My name's Mark. So, victory of the Daleks. Yeah, I was pleased that they didn't arrive bang on schedule. I was hoping for a lack of fine control in the TARDIS. And um, Winston did make a reference to ringing the Doctor a month ago. There was a minor apology. They didn't make a big thing of it, but I'm quite glad that it's a recurring theme. Um, The look of the World War II Daleks was fantastic. Khaki green. They were sneaky. They were getting cups of tea for people. They were carrying files. It was great. They had little pouches on. I couldn't quite work out how they'd access them, but let's put that aside because it looked good. I loved the World War II Daleks. They were sneaky, sneaky, sneaky things. There was a lovely exchange between Amy and the Doctor for people who'd been paying attention quite early on. Amy, tell him about the Daleks, the Doctor said. What would I know about the Daleks, she replied. That was quite a nice exchange. It um, gave a nod to those people who had spotted that, yes, she should have known about the Daleks, but it didn't really drive it home. That would come later. The exchange did play nicely into the Amy Pond mythology. The timeline with Amy doesn't quite sit right, as many people have pointed out. They know this. It's not accidental. It's designed in. I'm sure that some people will have objected to Matt Smith's undoctorly behaviour towards Dalek with the monkey wrench. But that's quite in keeping with the history that's been established in the new series. The Daleks were responsible for the death of the Time Lords. So having the Doctor react in that way is not entirely out of keeping. Eccleston, Tennant, they didn't exactly behave passively towards the Daleks. The Daleks were the one enemy that would really rile them up. So that's fine. And it wasn't without purpose. It wasn't rage. The Doctor was trying to get the Daleks to behave in a Dalek-like way, to try and make his point. Unfortunately, he um, didn't exactly think that through because, well, Winston Churchill was in the room. If the Daleks behave in a Dalek-like way, you've got a problem with the timeline there. Let's put that aside. The Doctor doesn't think too clearly when the Daleks round. Fair enough. I love the Doctor holding them off with the jammy dodger. That was pure class. I wonder if that would be a theme in the same way that Tom Baker would carry a jelly baby. Maybe Matt Smith's Doctor carries jammy dodgers with him. Given that jammy dodgers would be hard to come by in Lord or Two London, it doesn't seem unreasonable. Onto the new Daleks. They seemed like a bit of a cross between the iPod Nano and a line of children's toys such as Pokemon where you've got to catch them all. These new iDaleks, um, some people might be objecting to the colour scheme of them, but there are historical precedents in the classical series for the Command Daleks especially having certain colours for certain roles. So that's not out of keeping with the classic Doctor Who. It's just a continuation. There's a thing with humans called the Uncanny Valley. If you make a robotic-type creature that looks too humans, people are actually repulsed by it. And it seems that the same is true with Daleks. The first thing they did was to destroy the khaki almost Dalek instead of destroying the Doctor. There were a few problems at this stage. There was a continuity issue when we cut from the iDalek control room to the screen in the World War II bunkers. 
the Doctor was standing in a different position, and that did jar me out of the episode a little bit. Also, I did think it was rather nice of the Daleks to actually fit TV cameras in their control rooms and then broadcast them. That just seemed like an odd thing to do. Now we get on to Spitfires in Space. Yeah, the lights are on all over London. The first thing you do, surely, is to get onto the BBC, say to the population, there's been a problem, the lights have come on, everybody chuck some stones at the light bulbs, pull the light bulbs out. Yes, you might, if you've got the tech, put the Spitfire in space, but that takes more than a few minutes to do. To retrofit all these Spitfires, even if you've got this super genius Bracewell guy, who's retrofitting the um, Spitfires, who's got the tech. The Spitfires aren't in central London. You simply can't do that in a few minutes. Bit of a stretch. It did seem as well to be riffing a little bit from Star Wars. Every time the Spitfire was blown up, there was a sort of TIE fighter crashing sound effect. You had the guns as it looking like something off the Death Star. And to top it all off, you had Bracewell when you came back to him wearing the black glove, a la Luke Skywalker after Darth Vader had chopped his hand off. And in this case, the Dalek, Bracewell's father, had taken his hand. So again, for the second week in a row, little references to Star Wars. Whether it's intentional or not, don't know. I'm sure a few people will be complaining that the threat of the Daleks wasn't that big. They weren't trying to destroy the universe. They, they were destroying the world as an afterthought, perhaps. But they weren't trying to destroy all life as we knew it. And that's fair enough. They couldn't. In order to destroy all life as we know it, they have to first restore themselves. And that's perfectly fine. A smaller aim for the Dalek in order to achieve their bigger aim is perfectly reasonable. Indeed... If they're always about coming on and destroying everything, that's all they are. This was about, for the Daleks, survival. Towards the end, I did think that they were going to um, yield to the temptation of doing a Churchill gag. Oi, Churchill! Oi, Churchill! Could you save me money on car insurance? Oh, yes. But they avoided it. Just. Just as I like the sneakiness of the Daleks, I like the sneakiness of Churchill trying to pickpocket the Doctor for the TARDIS key. That was a nice touch. The end was a little bit weak for me. They really laid on thick that Amy didn't recognise the Daleks. How long was that zoom on the Doctor's crack? We know there's a crack. We don't need to see the Doctor's crack all the time. Make it a bit more subtle, please, uh, Mr Moffat. Overall, the episode had the potential to be maybe four or five out of five. But I didn't really like the Spitfires. I didn't really like the heavy-handedness with which they treated the Amy timeline problems. So that brought it down to about a three out of five. But generally, yep, I'm still liking the new episodes. I'm still liking Matt Smith's Doctor. All right. Okay. Well, thank thank you guys. Um, we might wrap this up. I think. Um, send in your thoughts on what you think about Victory of the Daleks or even any other story from this season so far to feedback at the dot com. MP3s are preferred. We see there's a lot more starting to come in now. There's plenty of easy ways to record your MP3s, whether it's on your computer with a simple microphone or and the, the iPhone has a function where you can do that sort of thing. All, all sorts of wonderful technology out there, so please send in MP3s. Look forward to your company later in the week where we will have another guest host on for our fan reaction episode for Victory of the Daleks, uh, Tim Drury from the uh, Tim's Take On podcast. You might have checked it out 
via the uh, Podcast Alliance forums and uh, website. He'll be joining us uh, to give him, us his thoughts on Victory of the Daleks and also going over the fan reaction to the episode as well. So we look forward to your company in a very few short days. See you all. Bye. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it in to feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.